Welcome to the Rogue Moment Podcast presented by Callaway. Callaway used rogue thinking to innovate and design the new number one driver in golf. Bill McAtee with you, and we're proud to welcome in to our Callaway Rogue Moment Podcast the legendary former CEO and president of Ford Motor Company, the man who used outside-the-box rogue thinking to execute one of the great turnarounds in the history of American business, taking a company that was losing roughly $17 billion a year and restoring it back to one of the world's most iconic and successful brands. I'm so pleased to welcome in Alan Mulally to the Rogue Moment podcast presented by Callaway. And Alan, thanks so much for being with us. It really is a thrill to have the chance to spend some time with you. You're welcome. I'm glad to join you. Well, your story is so compelling, and not everybody necessarily would know it. So would you mind if I gave a bit of your background and you can correct any mistakes I might make? Sure. Okay. So you were born in Northern California. Your parents originally met at a USO dance. You grew up uh, ultimately in your mom's hometown in Kansas, in Lawrence. Stayed home for college at Kansas with the undergrad and advanced degrees in aeronautical and astronautical engineering, and you ended up earning a master's degree in management at MIT. Right so far? Really well done. (laughs) So following that, you actually went right to work for Boeing, right from school, where you ultimately became a president and CEO, and then uh, finally to Ford, where we're going to dive in shortly. But first, did I get most of that backstory right? And, And wow, that is... That is so impressive. Well, absolutely, Bill. And just maybe to add a little bit um, to what you said, I had the honor to serve at at Boeing for uh, 37 years. And I also was very fortunate to be on the design team of of every Boeing airplane, the 707, 27, 737, 747, 757, 767. I was the chief engineer for the 777, the 777. And as a CEO, I helped launch the 787. And nearly 70% of all the seats that are flying today worldwide, Bill, are on Boeing airplanes. So clearly, if it's not a Boeing airplane, you shouldn't be going. <laughs> so <laughs> that's right. Well, I'll remember that. You, so you basically spent your entire career pre-Ford at Boeing. Yes, 37, 37 years of service. And so Ford, at that time, you made this transition. I think it's fair to say was, and, and maybe I'm being unkind, but I don't think so, pretty much a disaster. You could make the case that uh, uh, going there and taking the job at Ford at that stage of the com- company's history was a bit of a rogue moment. So how did that come about? And tell me about that first phone call with Bill Ford. Well, uh, I love your I love your theme about the rogue moments, and especially tying it to innovation. And, uh, of course, uh, you mentioned the innovation led by the Callaway and Boeing and Ford. And so I... Uh, I was the CEO of Boeing, and I love Boeing. And I thought I'd, I was going to wanted to finish my service there, and I, had, I wanted to help redesign a, the next version of the 737. And then I got a call from Bill Ford, and I'm thinking, Bill Ford, the great grandson of Henry Ford. <laughs> and you know, if you're an engineer and you're into innovation and technology and safe and efficient transportation, Henry is just you know he's one of our heroes, changed the world. And so I. Um, I wanted to know more about Bill's phone call, and and the more he told me about Ford and the situation that Ford was in, just the worse it got, Bill. It was just, uh, it was really a tough situation, and 
he uh, he shared with me that Ford had become a house of brands. They had purchased Aston Martin and Jaguar and Land Rover and Volvo and Mazda, and uh, they had Ford uh, almost different companies around the world in every country in which uh, Ford served. They also um, had really focused on SUVs and trucks, and although they had great uh, cars uh, around the world, but also that with their cost structure, they were not able to make vehicles um, cost-effectively and profitably anymore, and so we were losing money on every brand and every uh, vehicle. And he also shared that the first forecast that I saw for profits for the entire year, and this was in September, was going to be a $17 billion loss. And three months later, we achieved it, Bill. So this was not a forecast accuracy issue. This was a very situa- a serious situation for Ford. And to your question, I, I, I didn't think I'd ever leave Ford, or leave Boeing to go to Ford. And in the end of the day, the reason I did, and it really was a rogue moment, is that I really felt that uh, Ford was asking me to serve. This is a second American and global icon. And they're the arsenal of democracy. These two companies are the reason that we're free as a country. And they're the center of technology and innovation and safe and efficient transportation. So in the end, that's why I decided to leave wonderful Boeing and, and go to help, uh, help save uh, Ford with Bill Ford. So when you first started to unpack the situation at Ford, was it clear, gee, this is going to be a great opportunity for me, or was there a, a, a moment or two where you said, this is just not fixable? Um, no, I, I've always, uh, I've been on so many big programs, so fortunate to serve as a leader of, of these airplane programs and contribute to them. And, and also, when we bought McDonnell Douglas and Rockwell, we Boeing, and they asked me to be the CEO of, of this aerospace, the, the entire aerospace defense business. That over the years, I developed these working together principles and practices on how we were all going to come together around a compelling vision, a comprehensive strategy for achieving it, and then of course the relentless implementation plan, which everybody uh, loves. Was associated with the business plan reviews every Thursday, where we get everybody together around the world to review the plan and the status. So I knew. I knew from from the day one that Ford had all the talent in the world, and we just needed a different vision, strategy, and a plan to focus on creating the best automobile company in the world again by making the, by making the best cars and trucks that people want and value, and every year improving our quality and productivity. So I knew that if I if I would just follow those working together principles and practices and include everybody, that we'd be able to turn Ford around. I love the idea of weaving in with the rogue moment, your story, and um, the sort of moment that changed your personal trajectory, uh, I'm told, was when you heard a speech by President Kennedy about oh, yes. putting yes. a man on the moon. Yes. I was, uh, I was in high school at the time, and, and, I, uh, and President Kennedy described how uh, we were going to go to the moon. And as everybody, I'm sure, remembers, it was so compelling, Bill, because it was uh, not just about going to the moon. And he described it this way. It would be about the technology, the innovation, the working together, hundreds of thousands of of smart people uh, using their talents and working together to accomplish this. But it would be also about what we found out about ourselves. And between our technology and ourselves, we could help take all these learnings and help make 
the world better uh, for all of us. And so I actually uh, switched over to to the technical field at that time, and I decided I wanted to be a, a part of the program and uh, learn to fly and focused on aeronautical and astronautical engineering, and, and it set the it set my course for the for the rest of my career. Now, most kids don't say to themselves, um, aeronautical and astronautical engineering, that's going to be my path. So was was there something in your development that told you I am suited for this? Is there a way you looked at life or problems or something that said, I, I, I'm wired this way and, and I can accomplish great things? Well, that's interesting, uh, the way you're asking that, because um, we didn't, uh, growing up, we didn't have uh, a lot of resources, and uh, but we had a lot of love in our family. And every day, my mom would, uh, would uh, ask me a few questions or ask me a question before I left, and Things like, now, remember, honey, what the purpose of life is. And I'd say, well, yeah, I know, to love and be loved. And then she would add in, yep, but also in that order, honey. And next day would be, now, you know, to serve is to really live. Oh, yep, thank you, Mom. And next day would be, it's nice to be important, honey, but it's more important to be nice. Great. And you can do great things by using your talents, but especially if you use your talents and work together with others. You can do good, a lot of things for the good of the greater good. So, in a way, wow. uh, I I I knew I wanted to serve. It was and I also wanted to get a you know a pair of, of Levi jeans and some Weijin shoes, and maybe a car someday, and <laughs> and maybe go to college. And so, I started my whole life out in service, whether it was a TV guide route or my lawn mowing business or the paper routes or uh, construction or working at the Dillon's grocery store. It was always about service to others, and I got immediate feedback on the quality of my service and also uh, what I could do to uh, continuously improve. So you combine that with wanting to do something in support of of going to the moon and helping design airplanes and and safe and efficient transportation. That was also very, very uh, compelling to me from a a service to others point of view. Well, since this is a... um... Rogue Moment podcast presented by Callaway, and there's obviously a golf component to this. When did you start to, to play the game? Well, I didn't really uh, start until later uh, when I was at Boeing. And, and of course, um, uh, a lot of our, our business relationships uh, around the world, especially in Asia Pacific, because Boeing supports uh, all the airlines around the world, uh, there was always uh, golf involved because the, the relationships that people have are really important. And, and the leaders of the airlines want to know who you are, and, and they're making their biggest decision of their of their business career on which airplane they buy and, and when are we going to be there for them through the life of the airplane. And so um, I remember that was one of the first times I met Roger Cleveland, who was uh, one of the head designers at Callaway, and we would invite him to some of the events that we'd have with the airlines. And, of course, he was wonderful ambassador for Callaway. And he took me under his wing and Oh, they used to tape my fingers up, Bill. Put me on the driving <laughs> range, and, and so you know, I got to hit just a few more balls, and you'll be ready for your your foursome with your customers tomorrow. And and then, of course, in hindsight, uh, I just fell in love with the game, and fell. And of course, it was all enabled by by Callaway. So and then we had a technology exchange with Callaway at Boeing, and then while also when I was at Ford, because we used a lot of the same uh, materials, the alloys, the aluminums, the composites. And, and so uh, it's just been a, 
This has been a wonderful relationship over the years. I do want to talk to you about the evolution of, of uh, golf club design. I think that's a fascinating topic and would love to view it through your lens. But before we get too far off the, the track of your rogue moment, so you had one rogue moment when you decided to go from Boeing and accept the job at Ford. Was there an epiphany? Was there a singular moment where you, the light went on and you said, okay, I am definitely going to do this after this had happened? Well, Bill, there really was a rogue moment uh, in the context of you that we're talking about rogue because I knew that my work and the other principles and practices were at work, and, and some of the key ones are including everybody. Uh, it's all about people and loving them up and including them all the stakeholders. And when you're when you're working on a commercial airplane, um, a commercial airplane has around 4 million parts and, and it uh, uh, flies halfway around the world and it's a, the most sophisticated, safe uh, vehicle in the world. And so you're creating it out of nothing. So you have, you have hundreds of thousands of people that are working on it. So it's just really important that everybody knows what the vision for the airplane is and what the strategy is for achieving it. And also where we are in the plan, that they know the plan, they know the status against the plan, they know the areas that need special attention. And then they're working together, and they're helping each other, and they're appreciating each other and respecting each other. And so we'd actually color code all the charts that we'd use on the leadership team. And green, if the, that part of the plan was going per plan, yellow if we had an issue, but we had a solution. And red, you'd color your chart, the leader would color their chart. If they had an issue, they didn't have an answer to it yet, but they were working on it. So my rogue moment, or what I was hoping would happen sooner rather than later when we're losing $17 billion, is that in our leadership meeting, in our business plan review, where we review this every week, that we would review uh, all of our charts. We had about 300 charts for the, all the leaders on the team, and we'd be able to show all the problem areas, and we would be working together to turn the red CLs to greens. So we start out, and it's going pretty well, and they're getting to know each other, and they, they'd they come from all around the world, and uh, they were uh, using their expected behaviors that we agreed to, like seek and understand before you seek to be understood. They were they were color-coding their charts, and, and the only problem was that all the charts, Bill, all 300 were green. Hmm. And I stopped the meeting, and I said, you guys, you know now, and I know, that we're going to lose $17 billion. In any one of your areas, is there anything? It's not going well. Well, of course, they were scared to say anything because the culture at the time was you only brought a, a problem to uh, your leader or to the team if you had an answer. So you really kind of, everybody's managing a secret. So I knew I had to make a breakthrough. And they were scared because people seemed to disappear if they had problems. And, and so uh, one day, uh, the leader of North America at the time, uh, they had an issue with a lift actuator on the tailgate for a new edge launch in, in Oakville, Canada. And so he turned his launch chart red, both from a technical readiness, from a schedule compliance, and from a financial impact. And so we're, we went through all the green charts, and up comes this red chart, and all the air disappeared out of the room. <laughs> and everybody's looking at him, and they're looking at me to see what I, what this new leader's going to do. And so... Uh, I started to clap, and I said to the leader and to the team, this is great visibility. Uh, thank you for sharing. Of course, they all thought that meant that the two doors behind me were going to open up and two large people were going to come in and remove this leader if had a problem. <laughs> and so it was very tense and a, a very rogue moment, but I knew that we had to make this breakthrough. 
and I asked the team what we can do to help. And one person said, you know what, they had that issue on such and such, they'd get him the data right away. The head of manufacturing at the time said, we're going to figure this out. You're going to need some manufacturing engineers up in Oakville. i get them identified and get them up there right away, and they'll be ready to help get production going again. And that interchange took five or six seconds. And we went on to the next green chart, next green, green, green. Uh, a couple weeks later, uh, he turned his chart to yellow. They had a solution. Uh, a couple weeks later, it turned to green, and the, the vehicle started flowing all around the world again. And, Bill, guess what the 300 charts looked like the following week? Not all red, <laughs> but they looked like a rainbow. And at that moment, there's the all-time rogue moment, that innovation, that uh, agreement, that understanding that we were going to share the issues, that we weren't going to be the problem. We, each of us were going to be part of the answer. And we're going to work together now and turn the reds to yellows to greens. And at that moment, I knew that not only were we going to save Ford, but we were going to create the best company in the world with the finest product line of cars, utilities, and trucks and make them affordable and available to everybody. But that, that was the all-time rogue moment. And then you are, sort of articulated that to the masses, the masses in business, certainly, when you made your first public appearance as a CEO and some were skeptical about you making this transition to the automotive world. Oh, Bill, they sure were. They were so skeptical. Um, I didn't know it at the time, Bill, but uh, no executive, senior executive, had joined the automobile industry worldwide, which is a you know a huge industry with all the suppliers and the technology from outside. And so Bill walks me out on stage. All the journalists are there. He introduces me, and then he sits down. And so I'm having this impromptu <laughs> press conference with all these journalists around the world that wonder who this guy was and what was he going to do to save Ford. And so finally, an hour or so into the press conference, they started to get a little bit more familiar with me, and finally one journalist raised their hand and said, you know, Mr. Mullally, um, with all due respect, the automobile business is very, very complicated, starting with the products themselves. And uh, you don't know anything about it. And so what does it mean that you're the new CEO of the Ford Motor Company and we're in trouble, along with GM and Chrysler at the time, and you don't know anything about this complicated business? So I rubbed my chin, Bill, very thoughtfully, and I said, well, I certainly agree with you. The automobile business is very complicated, starting with their products. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, an average car or truck has around 10,000 parts. And you think about the quality, the fuel efficiency, the safety, the aerodynamics, the materials, the systems integration, very, very sophisticated cars and trucks. I might point out that the 777 airplane has 4 million parts, and it stays in the air. <laughs> in the next day, Bill, the next day in the newspaper, the, the three-inch headline just said, I think we got the right guy. <laughs> Well, you know, you, I, I've read a, uh, quite a bit about you, and one of the great um, things that you said was we cannot, because Ford was struggling in a lot of different areas, and you said, you simplified things, you said we can't be world-class in 97 different things. And so you came in and you, you know, sold those other businesses, right. uh, sort of realistically trimmed the workforce, developed new products, redesigned the Taurus and the Focus and Fiesta and Really, you know, the Edge was a relatively new product as well. 
So those kinds of things. So so in your preparation, how how did you make those kinds of decisions, and what time frame did that take? Well, um, it's interesting because there are really more similarities between Boeing and Ford than their differences, and it all starts, of course, uh, uh, with viewing yourself and understanding that our job as business uh, leaders, and in, whether it's profit or nonprofit is to create a viable business that's growing and creating value. And you have two things, two levers to use to do that. One is revenue, meaning that you make products and services that people want, and they value it, they'll actually pay for it, and you improve, improve your, uh, your operational efficiency every year. And, and revenue times margins equals profits, and great companies will grow both the revenues and the margins with these great products, and then they have a sustainable business, and they can keep reinvesting for the good of, of, of all our customers worldwide. And so when, if you, when you really understand that, then it starts with those products and services that people want and value and increasing your productivity every year. And so to your point, with all those brands, we actually had 97, 97, uh, 97 different nameplates. And we're trying to be world-class at 97 different products. Well, that, there's just no way to do that. So that's why we divested and found great homes for Aston Martin and Jaguar and Land Rover and Volvo. And we focused on the Ford brand. And on top of that, we committed that we're going to have a complete family of vehicles, from small, medium, and large ones, cars, utilities, and trucks. And we're going to be best in class for every new vehicle in terms of quality, fuel efficiency, safety, and connectivity and affordability. That's why we stopped production of that edge in Oakville, Canada, because it wasn't perfect, because that was the plan. And so making that really clear with everybody, plus the expected behaviors of how we're going to treat each other, then we could go to work to create this, not only save for, but create a, an exciting, sustainable, profitable growing. So now, now you go through the list, and, and it's actually not one rogue moment. It's literally dozens of rogue moments as you turn this, and obviously you take an iconic brand that's losing $17 billion in a year, that is a, the ultimate business battleship to try Absolutely. to turn around, especially in a, sec- a sector like automotive. And the other thing that you did, which turned out to be uh, obviously I think a key thing for the survival of the company in 2006 in the fall, you basically mortgaged a lot of the assets. All of them. And, and <laughs> And All you, of them. We you, even we even uh, included the blue oval the as logo. part of our yeah. our loan uh, to borrow a small home improvement loan of twenty three and a half billion dollars <laughs> to Which, not only restructure Ford, but also during the worst of times before the financial uh, collapse, is to invest during the worst of times in these fantastic new products. And so when we came out of the when we came through the financial crisis, also without having to borrow any precious taxpayer money, we had this fantastic lineup that was available to all of our, our customers worldwide. Absolutely amazing. Before I let you go, just talk a moment about, about golf club design. And, and um, obviously, Rogue is on a cutting edge of, in, in a lot of ways. But, but parallels between the designs that you've worked with your entire career, going back to your education days, Absolutely. Uh, your career as a CEO, and, and, and what you see in, in, in golf. Well, I think it's going to continue to improve on, on the major technology thrust that we see today. And it's, it's been really fun, of course, Bill, to work with 
work closely with uh, Callaway, but um, on all the different technologies themselves, all of the titanium, all the aluminum alloys, especially the composites and the graphite epoxy composites, but also the integration, the systems integration of the clubs themselves, the materials, and especially the aerodynamics, and and then also tailoring those technologies to the individual user, to me, is the most exciting part. And the more we learn uh, about golf, about the golfers, and the uniqueness of the human body, and one thing is the, the better the innovation is going to be. And one of the really neat things about Callaway, and it's been Callaway's core forever, is to make it enjoyable. Uh, better golf by design. Enjoy the game. Those are not just taglines or, or part of a, or the, a wonderful brand. They are the heart and soul of Callaway because they want to make golf not only fun but but neat and interesting and and easier to accomplish with what they can do as a, as a company. So I think those are going to be the big trends, but especially the focus on helping people enjoy the game. Alan, thank you very much. I wish we had another hour. <laughs> Alan Mulally, and uh, uh, really appreciate you being with us here on our uh, Callaway Rogue Moment podcast. Well, you're absolutely welcome, Bill, and thanks a lot for the opportunity. Alan Mulally, our guest on this Rogue Moment podcast presented by Callaway.